Hey there, wealth builders. You're listening to show number three of the Real Estate CPA podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Hall, and my whole goal is to help you understand the world of finance, accounting, and taxes so that your real estate investments and businesses can be run more efficiently and profitably than they ever have before. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If you're looking for a killer CPA to come in and help you out, roll on over to the client's page, set up an appointment. The first consultation is free, and I promise that you're going to learn something. Let's hit it. So you want to be a real estate investor, or perhaps you already are a real estate investor and you just want to expand your portfolio. Maybe you're tired of your nine to five or tired of renting. Regardless, there's a way that everybody can break into real estate or expand their portfolio, and it's a relatively easy way. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We'll discuss what that method is and what the financial implications and tax implications are of using such a method. But first, I want to update you with the latest about the real estate CPA. We're growing pretty rapidly, and I'm pretty excited about it. We're focused here on building and creating cornerstone content. So that's articles that are four or 5,000 words long, basically mini eBooks. You can reference that Schedule E walkthrough article that I wrote a couple weeks back. That's what we want to do. We want to add significant value to our listeners, and I think that that's helping us with our growth. We're also currently working on building a standard and a premium newsletter. So the standard newsletter is just going to be something like, here are the latest articles and content that was posted to the Real Estate CPA website. The premium newsletter is going to be more of a question and answer type format. It's going to contain content that is not available to the readers that read the realestatecpa.com. More information is on the client's page, so feel free to navigate over there. And of course, if you have any questions, you can always contact me at contact at therealestatecpa.com. Also, real quick, please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Leave us a rating after the show if you've enjoyed it, or even if you haven't. We appreciate all the help that we can get, and we want as much feedback as possible. Okay, so back to today's topic. How can you break into real estate or expand your portfolio relatively easily? The idea was actually coined by Bigger Pockets, and it's called house hacking. At a high level, what happens is you live in a part of the rental. Maybe you live in a unit. Maybe you live in one of the bedrooms if it's a single-family home. And then you rent out the portion that you're actually not living in. So you either rent out the other bedrooms, or if it's a multifamily, you rent out the other units. And of course, the entire idea here is to live relatively free, if not free, or get paid to live. So when you're house hacking, you are essentially replacing that monthly living expense, either that monthly mortgage or that monthly rental expense. And as any financial advisor, any financial guru will tell you, housing expenses, living expenses, the necessities, that rent, that mortgage, generally will amount to 30%, maybe more, depending on where you live, of your take-home income. If you can find a way to eliminate that 30%, eliminate that necessity, then you really have a lot a lot of flexibility in the way that you live your life. For instance, I'm a millennial. I have a lot of millennial friends, and they're all renting, right? And they're not necessarily in debt. I mean, either whether they had parents who paid for college or whether they worked their way through school uh, or, or got scholarships. These people aren't necessarily in debt, and so they they assume that you know, hey, my my renting expense that's just part of my budget, that's something that I pay for every single month. 
But to somebody that takes finances seriously, somebody that thinks financially in, in literally everything I do, you know, a, a monthly rental payment is really debt. Sure, on your balance sheet, you show no debt. But in reality, you are obligated to pay this monthly fee that grants you the ability to live in this apartment complex or, or, or house or wherever you're living. And again, I've been a renter. I've rented for several years. Uh, I've even done the financial analysis that says, hey, here's the break-even point between renting and buying and all that stuff. But you know, throw that stuff out the window because at the end of the day, what I realized is that if you are paying rent or if you are paying a mortgage, at the end of the day, you are a slave to that payment and you need to figure out how to eliminate it. You can eliminate it through this house hacking method where you live in one unit or you live in one bedroom and you rent out the others and the other rental payments cover your mortgage, potentially cover utilities and essentially pay for you to live there for free. And the other way to do it would to just invest in investment property. Maybe you buy something that the cash flow, that the monthly cash flow covers your monthly mortgage or your monthly rental expense. That's a feasible way to do it too. But at the end of the day, what you are looking to do is to get into a property with little money down and eliminate that monthly expense. And you know, just think about it like this. If you don't have that housing expense, what other expenses do you have? You might have bar expenses or entertainment expenses, but at the end of the day, the housing expense is the big expense to eliminate. So when people, for instance, talk about living frugally, like let's avoid a $5 Starbucks every single day, I say that's crap. And the reason for that is because we can focus on bigger expenses and eliminating those bigger expenses. The $5 Starbucks a day, that's great for somebody that has a lot of consumer debt and is in a very bad financial situation and doesn't understand how to control their finances. But for somebody that is investing in real estate, somebody in a better financial position, that stuff doesn't work. You need to focus on what is the biggest spend and the biggest spend every single month generally speaking, is going to be that housing expense. So we can eliminate that housing expense by doing the house hacking method. And the house hacking method is great because it is relatively cheap to get into. For instance, you can get into most house hacking situations with 3.5% down as long as it's four units or less. And you'll be looking at an FHA mortgage situation. So you need to factor in the insurance premiums into that monthly payment. But again, that goes to the whole living frugally thing. A lot of people say insurance premiums, those monthly insurance premiums are bad. They're very bad. Avoid them at all costs. Put 20% down. And I say as long as you factor it in and you're looking at it like a business then it's fine. If your monthly income is covering those expenses, those operating expenses, then you're doing okay. You're running a good business. So kind of think about it like that next time that you are looking for a rental property or looking to move. And really the last great thing about house hacking is that it starts to get you into that investment mindset if you're not there already. And what I mean by that is you will start to look at all primary residences, real estate that you want to own or occupy. You're going to start looking at that with a business mind, with an investment mind. You're going to say, I want to move into this. This is a great property. The mortgage is $2,000 a month. 
can I rent out the other rooms or can I rent out the other units for more than $2,000 a month? And if not, if I can only rent it out for $1,600 a month, meaning my net payment is going to be $400 a month, is that more or less than what I'm paying today? And when you start to look at housing, especially as a business, as an investment, you are well on your way to building wealth. I wrote an article about house hacking on Bigger Pockets, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But basically, it was comparing two people. It was comparing a person who is investment savvy and a person who is salary savvy. So the person who is salary savvy gets paid a high income, but they also spend a large amount of that income. And they're not necessarily generating equity with the money that they're spending. For instance, maybe they're renting. Maybe they're in a city where it's not affordable to buy, so they just continue renting to stay in the middle of the city, in the hot spots, and an easy commute to work. And there's definitely value there. I'm not saying that that's a bad choice. But at the same time, you might have somebody else who worked a full-time job for a couple of years, built up savings, was able to finance a four-unit property or a three-unit property or even a duplex on their W-2 income. And maybe they did it strategically so that the rents from the other units actually cover their mortgage expenses. Once they move in, rent all the units out, and they're cash flowing or breaking even, or maybe even even a couple hundred bucks net payment, it really changes your financial situation because that person can look at their income, their income source, and say, does this really make sense for my long-term goals? Does this align with my values? Roughly 70% of employees are not satisfied at work. So a house hacking type situation gives you a lot of power if you no longer have a huge living expense, you don't necessarily need the large amount of income to support you. And specifically in my Bigger Pockets article, I had the salary savvy person generating, I think it was like $110,000 per year in salary, which is a great pay, you know, I, I mean, a lot of people, when they hear 110K, kind of get a little jealous. Like, hey, I want to earn that much money. But at the same time, if you can't keep that money, then you're not really making $110,000 a year. That's what you're grossing, but you're not netting that. And that was the point that I was trying to illustrate with this article. It gives you the ability to, one, control your expenses. Minimize your expenses is actually kind of a better way to put it. But two, it gives you the ability to control that income source. So if you're one of the people that really dislikes your job, house hacking is going to be the way to go. So figure out what type of property you can buy, whether it's single family or multifamily, and then figure out when you can buy it, how much money you need, and just do it. But I can't leave you with that because this is the Real Estate CPA podcast, not the house hacking financial savvy podcast. While I'll talk about being financially savvy all day long, I also kind of want to rope in the tax side of things. So house hacking kind of causes an interesting situation. Basically, what's going to happen is you are living in a portion of the entire building, and your tax situation needs to reflect that fact. If you own a four-unit property and you're living in one unit and renting out the other three, theoretically, if we're going by units and not by square footage or bedrooms or, or whatever else you want to apply, you live in 25% of the building and you're renting out 75% of the building. 
from a tax perspective, 25% is going to be considered your personal residence. So that, that unit that you live in is your personal residence. The remaining 75% is going to be considered rental property or investment property. So when it comes tax, when it comes down to tax time, you are going to report 75% of the expenses on Schedule E on the investment side of things, not on Schedule A, which is where you're going to report the personal side of things. And splitting expenses can get very tricky. So for instance, we might have insurance expense. Insurance expense for a primary residence is not deductible. But if you have an investment property where you are living in one unit and renting out the other three, theoretically 75% of the insurance expense is now deductible as an investment expense rather than a primary residence expense. And the same goes for taxes and interest expenses. So taxes, generally, you would allocate 100% to either the investment side or to Schedule A, the personal side. But if you're living in 25% of the unit, you actually have to split the taxes between the personal unit and the investment unit. And the same goes for interest expenses. You're going to split that interest expense between the personal and the investment side. And this could cause problems because if you don't have enough itemized deductions you're going to take the standard deduction at the end of the year. And potentially what that means is that 25% of your taxes, 25% of your interest expenses, the amount that is allocated to personal use might not even be deductible. Now, you're still going to get your standard deduction. But what I'm saying is that you're not going to itemize deductions. So it does take a little bit of tax planning and a little bit of coordination to kind of figure out what the best route is to take in regards to these expenses that you're splitting between the investment side and the personal side. Another big factor is maintenance and repairs. So any sort of maintenance or repairs to common areas will be split between the investment side and the personal side. So again, that 25-75% split. But any repair made to your own unit, so like if you replace the floors in the unit that you're living in, that will not be deductible that will be added to your cost basis and carried forward into the future. And basically, we'll we'll use it whenever you sell the property. But the same goes for if you replace the flooring in a rental unit or you replace the windows in a rental unit. Specifically, if it's in the rental unit or a repair to the rental unit and not not split in a common space area, then it will be 100% deductible on the rental side. So again, if you replace the floors in a rental unit or you replace windows in a rental unit, it will be 100% allocated to the investment side. You'll be able to get that right off assuming that you don't have to depreciate it. And on that note of splitting expenses 25-75, we also have to take into consideration the section 121 exclusion. So the section 121 exclusion says if you own a property, and you use it as your personal residence for two years, you can exclude up to $250,000 of capital gains, $500,000 if you're married filing jointly. And there is a five-year time limit on this. So if you live in a property for two years, you have three years to sell it until you can no longer claim this exclusion from capital gains. So as an example... If you lived in a property for 10 years, you definitely meet that two-year requirement, and you sell it one year after moving out, you're going to qualify for the Section 121 exclusion. 
But if you live in a property for 10 years and you sell it five years after moving out, you're not going to qualify for the Section 121 exclusion. So make sure that we have in our minds that you have to live in the property, you have to own the property, and use the property for two years, at least two years, out of the last five years, which essentially means you can move out and rent it for three years before you lose the exclusion. So for a house hacking property, it creates an interesting scenario because generally with a primary residence, you don't have to worry about capital gains when you move out unless you've held the property for a significant amount of time or unless you're in an area that is experiencing significant appreciation. So the Section 121 exclusion becomes extremely powerful. It becomes a very good tool to have in your quiver. When you house hack a property, if we go back to that whole 2575 example where you live in one unit and you rent out the other three, the Section 121 exclusion will only apply to the portion of the house that you live in. So only that 25% in our example. And this has significant tax implications because... You can you can look at a property and say, hey, I can wipe out my mortgage expense or my, my rental expenses today, right now. I won't have to pay anything for the next five years. But if you figure that you can sell the property for a significant amount of money after you move out, then house hacking might actually not make sense. Simply because at the end of the day, you could be paying more in taxes than you are saving by eliminating those monthly living expenses. And this is a pretty profound realization for some of my clients that that want to go the house hacking route. Depending on the city that they're living in, if the city is is appreciating rapidly, we will map out a few different scenarios. One where it shows high appreciation, one mediocre, and then one very little appreciation. And generally what we find is that it's pretty close over a five-year time frame. The tax liability that you would incur by selling the property when you are a house hacker and therefore not eligible to exclude 100% of your gains because you're only living in 25% of the property, the tax implications come pretty close to the savings that you're actually realizing. And it's great that you're listening to this podcast and that now you're going to take this into your consideration whenever you decide to house hack a property. Because believe me, I have had people come to me who are in this situation where they have house hacked for a number of years and are now trying to sell at a significant gain. I mean, they're going to they're gonna do well regardless, but they're now realizing that the tax liability generated from the sale of their asset is more than the total savings that they realized over the number of years that they held it simply because the Section 121 exclusion only applies to the portion of the property that was your that was considered your primary residence. So the last tax implication here is depreciation recapture. On the selling a property that you've house hacked note, uh, you will have to pay depreciation recapture on whatever depreciation you've taken over the years. So whenever you're house hacking, again, going back to that example, that 25, we, we, we live in one unit, we're renting out the other three, the other three units, you're depreciating every year. When you go to sell the property, you pay tax on that depreciation that you've taken over the years. If you don't take depreciation, the IRS will assess a depreciation amount, and you're going to pay taxes on it anyway. So it's best to go ahead and take the depreciation, but just know that whenever you sell the property, you're going to pay depreciation recapture on the amount that you've actually depreciated over the years. 
And this is another profound realization of people that have been house hacking because, again, they thought that it was as simple as saying, I'm going to minimize my monthly living expenses and that's what I want right now. But they don't take into account the long-term impacts of that decision. If you know the long-term impacts, such as not being able to qualify for the Section 121 exclusion or at least the full amount, paying depreciation recapture taxes, you can make a more educated decision on the front end one that will lead to significantly boosting your wealth and protecting you from taxes at the same time. So I do kind of want to pump the brakes a little bit and let you know that it's not all doom and gloom from a tax perspective when you're house hacking. There are many, many benefits. Several include you're able to deduct insurance, which you were not able to deduct previously if you had just fully occupied the place as your primary residence. Second, you get to deduct repair and maintenance costs to the building. And the last big benefit is that you can 1031 exchange a portion of your property. So again, going back to the the 2575 example that we've been harping on the entire podcast, when you sell the property... 25% can qualify for the Section 121 exclusion. The other 75%, since it doesn't qualify for the Section 121 exclusion, if you're realizing a lot of capital gain and you're going to pay a huge amount of tax, you can 1031 that into another property or into several other properties. And so that is a huge benefit to house hacking because we've completely avoided that whole doom and gloom scenario that I just talked about where you sell the property and you get crushed with taxes because you can't avoid taxes with the Section 121 exclusion. So the 1031 exchange helps with that. You can use the Section 121 exclusion on 25% of your property and then 1031 exchange the remaining 75% of your property and avoid taxes in totality. So at the end of the day, you have the best of both worlds. You've avoided taxes on the sale and since you've owned the property you've reduced or eliminated your monthly living expenses. So that wraps up today's show. Thank you so much for listening to the Real Estate CPA podcast show number three. If you liked the podcast, please leave us a rating on iTunes and SoundCloud. We'd really appreciate it. Please also like us on Facebook and Twitter. The more that we're able to reach a wider audience, the more people that we're going to help. And that's the ultimate goal is to help real estate investors understand and get through the financial tax and accounting implications of investing in real estate because it can be pretty complicated at times but it doesn't have to be so complicated that it makes you fail or keeps you from starting in the first place so thanks again for listening i really appreciate it b hall signing off